Hello and welcome to your weekly daily friend rap, W-R-A-P. I was told quite clearly, so I had to throw my sick beats away. In this weekly rap, we look at a few stories in a few minutes to make sure that we keep you up to date. So with me today is uh, the IR head honcho, the big cheese, the CEO, John Enris. John, welcome aboard. Thank you very much, Herman. Thanks for having me on. Um, and you, I was expecting Nicholas, uh, and I got Herman. What happened? Well, um, th th that's an interesting story. I mean, they 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 say things change. No, um, our dear colleague Nicholas Lorimer cannot be with us today. Unfortunately, he has some personal emergency. So I will be trying my best to fill in in his stead. And I do hope viewership and listen listenership numbers don't suffer as a result. But without any further ado, let's get right into the meat of the matter, as it were. The stories today. First up, Ramaphosa to meet Labour leadership as budget crisis takes centre stage. Now, this is a story where um, the president is... Uh, has, has a few days ago called an urgent meeting with some leaders in the labor movement. And uh, that comes on the back of emerging stories from the Treasury that uh, South Africa's fiscal state is actually quite dire. And one is starting to see some quite, I think, radical proposals from the Treasury to cut spending cut even perhaps few government departments. But with the labor question um, looming, uh, there's this proposal to cut even up to 200,000 jobs from the public workforce. And of course, the public workers unions are not a fan of that. Now, John, this is quite interesting. It seems to be reality and ideology coming into some tension. What do you make of this situation and where do you think it places our president, who we know loves a bit of consensus? Indeed he does. I think this is a huge story, Herman, um, and I think this, these are the rumblings of an earthquake that we are hearing. And this is going to continue building over the, the, the course of the next months, maybe in the next year, maybe even the next years. Uh, and it's going to dominate a lot of headlines uh, because the state does have serious uh, financial problems right now. The Treasury has alerted the cabinet ministers to it, uh, and we're going to see lots of squealing uh, as certain uh, stakeholders realize that some of their benefits are going to be cut. Um, those stakeholders could include taxpayers at a later stage if the finance minister decides to raise taxes. So let us not be uh, you know, too, too blasé about this. Uh, this is uh, going to affect all, of, all South Africans. It is also a very tough situation because the finance minister uh, doesn't really have good options because the economy is not growing, the tax base is being eroded. So on the income side, the revenue side, he doesn't have great options. And on the cutting side, he's going to face stiff opposition, especially in the run-up to an election year. Now, it was interesting to me mentioning the taxpayer that um, the Treasury made it known that were they to continue the 350 rand monthly a grant that was started during COVID, if that were to continue beyond next year, um, the VAT rate would have to go up with two percentage points. In other words, not with 2%, but two full percentage points from 15% to 17%. Surely, surely that 
Uh, that can't be a good sign. And is that perhaps the Treasury trying to illustrate to the presidency, look, this is serious if we're considering something as drastic as upping VAT? Yeah, I think it is. It's also one of very many unpalatable options. Um, you know, I think all, all of the options aren't great at the moment. There probably is scope to um, cut expenditure quite significantly by improving efficiency. Um, and we see that especially in public procurement, uh, you know, where estimates vary. I think the chief procurement officer a few years ago suggested that 50% of government contracts were subject to price inflation. Um, so clearly, you know, the state is paying far too much for the things that it buys. And if it could improve on that even a little bit, it could make, make huge savings and improve its uh, situation quite dramatically. We know that there's a public uh, procurement bill currently before Parliament um, on which we uh, have made a submission. We made a submission yesterday, um, and we'll be talking about that to Parliament tomorrow. Uh, and we are very strongly urging, of course, for the rules to be set in a way that facilitates value for money procurement uh, and makes it very clear that that has to be the priority of the government. Uh, at the moment, there are other uh, reasons that can be given for deviating from value for money procurement, um, but those really are causing a lot of problems in our public procurement and creating a lot of inefficiency. Uh, so that is where I would say that the best scope is to, to, to improve the financial situation of the state. When we see things like a broad discretion and weak oversight, then it is when budgets or corruption goes haywire. Now, talking about oversight, we in South Africa have these Chapter 9 institutions, a list of entities there to protect democracy, protect uh, the Constitution, and even to protect the public. And if there's anything in a name, the public protector has certainly been a topic of conversation over the last few years. We saw with Tulimad and Sela showing that the office can have some muscle and some teeth for whatever reason one might think. She made the office something to be reckoned with. Then she was succeeded by not quite the incumbent anymore, advocate Musisiwe Mkwebane. Now, she clearly failed to live up to uh, the expectations or perhaps live up to the standard, what I think one could acknowledge, that Tuli Mabenzela, whatever one might think of her ideological merit, she held that office, I think with some distinction, certainly um, uniquely so amongst her competitors since the constitution created that office. But John, to you, this is something, this, this removal of Mkwebane speaks to a deeper issue of independent state entities and oversight. How so? So this is a, a really big thing in South Africa's democratic history. And the reason for that is that South Africa's Chapter 9 institutions um, were set up to be independent of influence from the executive or the, the legislative, even the, the, the judiciary. And some of the mechanisms for doing that included that it is very hard to remove the office holder from office, like the public protector, for example. And the reason for that is obvious. You know, you don't want uh, a president being investigated for graft to just kick out the public protector who's making his life difficult, to name just a, a random example. Yes. Um, <laughs> plus also, the public protector typically can only hold office for a single term. And the thinking here is that if uh, there could be a renewal, an extension, then a president could say to the public protector, look, uh, I'd prefer you to focus your attention elsewhere. And if you do so, I am willing to give you another term in office. Wouldn't that be nice? So he would be able to influence the incumbent by offering inducements like that. And by saying it's a single non-renewable term, 
it means that uh, pathway of influence is removed. So these institutions are really interesting. Um, a lot depends on who's appointed to them, as we saw in this very stark difference between um, Tuli Maroncela and uh, Husi Mkwebane. Um, I think Tuli Maroncela was Jacob Zuma's greatest mistake, possibly, um, probably to the benefit of South Africans, but certainly to the detriment of the president at the time. Uh, and Mkwebane, um, I'm sure the ANC was hoping would, would be a safer bet, <laughs> less contentious, uh, but she sort of went the other way and uh, has been contentious for, for very bad reasons. What is also important about the story is that she was removed through a parliamentary process, um, uh, following all the rules, which is as it is meant to be. And also, interestingly, um, before her term of office ended, which thereby precludes her from a sort of a final payout that she would have qualified for if she'd remained in office all the way to the end of the term. But the fact that she was removed now means that she doesn't qualify for that uh, 10 million rand payout. Uh, plus, she's also incurred quite su substantial legal costs and uh, by all accounts intends to keep adding to them by taking on judicial review her own removal. I must say I'm always skeptical of these Chapter 9 entities exactly because they are good vehicles very much dependent on the skills of the driver. If we look at the public protector, perhaps with an eye towards next year's elections, listeners, viewers might cast their minds to the IEC and consider how that entity could accommodate um, either democracy in the healthiest sense or perhaps make it a rather muddy business. So these entities aren't just there for journalists. They really do filter down to the everyday goings on of where the buck stops and whose bucket is in the first place. But perhaps in the closing seconds that we have here, your thoughts on the announcement by the presidency that a ceremonially rich full military honours ceremony will be given to uh, the funeri funeral arrangements of Mangosutu Butelezi, um, the former leader of the IFP. Um, what strikes me about this is that the IFP, founded by Mangosutu Butelezi, and the ANC were at war not that long ago, within living memory, 30 years ago, uh, and certainly the hostility between the two parties was very great and continues to be felt to the present day, as we've seen in some of the media commentary uh, coming from especially ANC-aligned journalists. To see the ANC government now um, extending, I think, uh, quite a substantial uh, a peace offering, so to speak, agreeing to honour Butelezi is an important gesture and I think also encouraging in the sense that it echoes the reconciliation that made the South African miracle happen in 1994. Uh, we can feel tensions between people in South Africa rising uh, as the economy slows and as, as things don't work out the way we were hoping they would work out. And it is sometimes nice to have a bit of a, an echo from the past of the spirit of reconciliation, uh, of which I think we could use far more. I think this does sort of remind also of how the continuity of state preserved some dignity with the death of uh, Evita Clark and a few years ago even P.W. Buerta. So these things do remind that symbolism, ceremony, uh, national entities and unity, it does matter and it does matter to making life in South Africa better and trying to grow, whether that is economically, 
according to our first story, whether it is constitutionally into a democracy with our second story, or whether it is to a more unified country with our third story. That is all we have time for, a mixed bag today, some good, some bad, but we look forward to seeing you carry this conversation further in the comments, and we look forward to seeing you in our next episode of The Daily Friend, and I will not prepare any RAP, rap in that sense, for future episodes. Have a lovely day further, have a lovely evening, and we'll see you again. Bye-bye. Thank you.